Welcome to the Empowered Movement Podcast. Hello, my name is Dr. Emily Rausch. I am a sports medicine chiropractor located in Boise, Idaho, and I am the owner of Empowered Movement Chiropractic, a sports chiropractic and rehabilitation clinic also located in Boise, Idaho. Today, I want to talk about a recent research article that I read that I found super interesting. And before I get too far into dwelling into it, I just want to give a warning that we will be talking about food and eating and eating disorders in dancers specifically. And so if any of these topics are not something that you are in the right mindset to hear right now, I would suggest that you turn it off. And if you or someone you know is struggling with eating or eating disorders, I recommend that you reach out to a trusted dietitian. You can reach out to me. There's a website called NEDA, um, National Eating Disorder Association, that can connect you with some resources and some providers that can help you in your area. And there's absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. If you are struggling, you are worthy of help. Get help when you're ready. Okay, so this research article was posted in the um, British Journal of Sports Medicine, I believe. Um, It's abbreviated, so I'm not 100% sure what the abbreviations stand for. Uh, It is titled Indicators and Correlates of Low Energy Availability in Male and Female Dancers. It was published in 2020. So relatively new, trying to find an actual date, Um, November 2020. So it's fairly new, which is awesome. If you are new to learning about research, newer research is looked more favorably upon than older research um, with the premise that older stuff is outdated and that we have learned more since that original research came out. Um, Not that all old research is bad. Don't take that away from it, but just... When you're looking for like up-to-date information, obviously the new bird is, we're going under the premise that it is more up-to-date. So we are going to dwell into this a little bit. So the purpose of this study was to kind of bridge the culture divide between the art of dancing and then the sport and like slash science side of dancing. And I feel like it's not going to shock anyone, um, unfortunately, that the dance world has historically had some issues around their dancers eating enough for their activity level. I don't think it is too much of a stretch for people to assume that dancers have eating disorders. Um, And while I think it's absolutely heartbreaking that that's the case, I feel like if you were to make some broad assumptions about the dance world, that is something that wouldn't be too far of a stretch for people. So this study tried to combine a few different other like screening tools that exist um, that are not dance specific and tweak it um, slash modify, combine them to have the questionnaire be specific towards dancers. And so there's, um, if you go to a doctor and they are questioning whether you 
are having disordered eating or potentially an eating disorder and they want to have a very um, systemic way of screening for that, they will give you a questionnaire to fill out and you just answer the questions. Um, However, a lot of these are not geared towards dancers specifically. So they decided to make one for dancers, which I thought was pretty cool, which is the reason that I read it as someone that enjoys dancing um, myself. And the questions covered um, stuff about training, attitudes about weight, and eating behaviors that were skewed towards things with um, dance. They asked about some of the common side effects that come with low energy availability. And let's take a, a slight detour and explain that. And so someone that is actively training for, um, let's say, like if we use a study, the average was 30 hours a week. And so they, their full-time job is to be active, is to dance. It takes um, a lot of food to fuel your body when you are working out for that many hours a day and a week. And so if it's not something that you are paying attention to, it is very easy for you to undereat, whether that be a choice or something that you just aren't aware of that you need to be eating more. And with chronic long-term undereating, there is a vast variety of issues that I'm going to say athletes, but in this specific case, dancers can have going from um, like hormone issues, losing your menstrual period, losing your ability to get an erection, having gut issues, um, sleep issues, bone fractures, all uh, literally every system in your body requires fuel, which comes from the food that we eat to be able to happen. And our body will like, like kind of eke along, but if we choose to eat the amount of food for our energy level that our body requires, one, we feel better, and then two, we perform better. And so um, knowing that the dance world has some issues around um, promoting like excessive thinness, um, we're hoping that with more like data and research, especially, especially dance-specific research, that we can have a little bit of a cultural shift where maybe it's not being the smallest dancer that is looked at as being the best thing, but maybe being the healthiest dancer or the strongest dancer, you know, the dancer that's able to jump higher or longer. Um, There's a whole bunch of different factors, right? Just depending upon the style of dance that you're doing that you want to have happen. Um, And so they asked a bunch of questions to, they had 247 dancers that answered their questionnaire and it was just emailed out um, to dancers and dance um, organizations. And so kind of a a broad way of getting answers back. Um, So 247 dancers answered. The majority were female. Average age was 20.5 for females and 22.5 years for uh, males. They started dancing at um, about six, a little under six, and then transitioned to full-time training at 15 years. And so we're going to, again, have a little sidebar. There's so much research, so much research that shows that early sport specialization leads to 
burnout, one, and then more injuries because you just keep doing the same motions over and over and over again. And so not having your child specialize in a sport, meaning that they're going to only do one, like they're only going to dance or they're only going to play baseball or only play tennis, pick a sport, um, is not healthy for them long term. And so while their bones are developing and they're growing, it is more beneficial to have a longer um, like training availability, so like years of training as opposed to burning out when they're um, super young or getting injured super young, um, to have them do like three sports a year, four sports a year, like switch it up, go by seasons, not just have them do one across, you know, six to 20 years. This is also really common in gymnastics, um, which is a whole nother podcast episode that I could probably spent hours talking about um, women's gymnastics, at least in the U.S., should be called girls' gymnastics because they peak these athletes at um, like 16, which you're still a child, and a, a child should not be competing in a, a women's gymnastics. Like women's would be, you know, an adult. So um, a whole bunch of whole bunch of issues there, kind of correlating with dance that specializing too early leads to burnout and more injuries. And instead of having long careers or longer careers, um, their their careers are getting cut short because they have so many things that just aren't being addressed when they are younger. So the questions go um, on some of the key highlights that you would expect when you are looking at screening for um, disordered eating, eating disorders, low energy availability, thingamajigs. So we talked about hormone status, um, which for males was assessed by the number of um, erections that they had in the morning, which the male hormone status, like it makes it kind of hard to to track. But um, in females, f- fortunately, I guess, um, one of the ways to tell if females' hormone levels are where they should be is how regular their period is. Um, it's normal for people that have the ability to menstruate to have a menstrual period every year or every month, sorry, not every year, every month. Um, With hormonal birth control, there will be some variations with that. But if you are not on hormonal birth control and you are over the age of 15, you should be having a cycle monthly. And if you are not, that is a sign that there is something going on. And I would highly recommend that you go to your doctor and have that looked at. And then with that being said, um, getting put on birth control, if that is you, is not the answer to that um, issue. It just like forces you to have a fake period and doesn't actually address the hormone issue that you are having. So do with that what you will. Um, then they kind of, so they asked about the questions, you know, what are you doing with um, your like hormone levels? Have you told anyone that you are not having your period and 58% of females had reported. And then in 43% of those cases, nothing happened with it. And so there's um, some areas that companies can do better with that. And then they asked about whether the participants thought it was normal for the ability to have people that have the ability to menstruate to have a period or not. Um, 23% thought that it was normal for the, um, biological females to not have a 
menstrual cycle. And I also want to put a little caveat in here that I very much realize that there are more people than just females that have the ability to menstruate. Non-binary humans and trans humans exist. This article uses male and female, and I'm going to go with biological sex or sex assigned at birth um, when I mean female. So keep that in mind, please. They talked about illness and injuries. Soft tissue injuries were the most prevalent, um, and bone fractures were not as common as I would have anticipated, honestly, and actually, which is a good thing. Um, and then something that I think as a healthcare provider and then any of my healthcare provider friends that are listening to this, um, female dancers that reported an injury to their provider, only 35% of those people going in for an injury consultation, um, had someone ask about their menstrual period. And so if you're working with athletes, I would say anyone, but especially athletes, and they have the ability to menstruate, that is something that you like need, need, need to be asking because it is one of the like most obvious signs that there's something else going on. And if it is not something that you are comfortable asking the dancer or the athlete face-to-face, my first thought would be grow up. Um, it's a human body. It happens. But my second thought would be to just put it on your intake form, have them say when their last menstrual cycle was and um, if it's regular or not. So you can get some data and then go from there. They also talked about their eating habits. Um, a significant portion, a third or so of the fe- females were vegetarian. Um, 5% of the males were vegetarian and then 10% were vegan. Um, of females and 36% of males excluded certain foods from their diets. Um, Most commonly was meat and then followed by carbohydrates. Um, 98 dancers, so there's 247, whatever that math ends up being. Um, Significant portion of people had been advised by teachers um, slash other dancers to exclude foods, most commonly carbohydrates. Um, A lot of people are getting their nutrition information from the internet. And so if you are a dietitian listening to this, reaching out to um, dance companies might be a good idea. They also asked about um, well-being and just like, how are you sleeping? How's your digestive system? Um, They're like kind of in the middle. It was a one to six scale for these. And most of the answers were around four. So kind of right in the middle um, of those. And then they asked some more questions about attitudes towards weight and eating. So going on like psychological factors, um, dancers reported weighing themselves on average 1.8 times times a week. Um, They felt that it was important for them to control what they eat and their, what they weigh and how their weight affected their self-esteem. But like all of those were seemed to be like pretty common things. Um, the majority of people wanted to lose weight. Um, and these people are not um, large by any means. And it was, the numbers were reported in kilograms. And I feel like the heavier end, and I'm saying like heavier in quotation marks because it they're not 
um, I wouldn't consider them to be heavy at all. The average weight was between 110 and 128 pounds. And so I would say that's like a pretty um, healthy weight. Like I wouldn't be someone where I would be like, oh, you could drop, you know, four pounds and you would be a better dancer. That would not be something that I, not, not be the first thing that would come to mind when working with someone like this. Um, they're also really anxious about missing practice and a lot of control issues around diet and weight. So that, once again, I don't think is super shocking for anyone to hear, but then also it's like just heartbreaking that this culture continues to prevail. Um, moving forward, the discussion slash conclusion that these authors, um, highlighted and the ones that I think are really interesting too, is that there needs to be some sort of shift in the culture around food, around eating for your activity level, um, not assuming that because someone is smaller, it means that they are a better dancer. Like I said earlier, there's some issues with um, early training specialization and when it like starts happening, like 15 is usually when teenagers are growing quite a bit and being in a culture that tends to promote restricting eating, cutting out food groups, a lot of self-esteem issues being tied to your weight might not be the best thing for a dancer's mental health. Um, also, one of the really big side effects of low energy availability is your body's peak bone mass happens when you are growing. And I'm not 100% sure on the age, but I believe it's like right around 20-ish that your bones are at their peak mass. Um, and so if you are not getting enough energy in, food in, while you are growing to build this peak bone mass, your chances of osteoporosis when you are older skyrocket, which no one wants. No one wants a frail old lady. We want the strong old lady. Other things that I think are worth chit-chatting about is that dancers have been encouraged to exclude carbohydrates most commonly, and that is a huge issue, a huge issue. As an athletic person, you need carbohydrates. As a human in general, there are some exceptions with some medical conditions where maybe you would not need to eat as many carbohydrates as other people, but for the most part, as an athletic person, a significant portion of your diet needs to come from carbohydrates and they're not going to make you fat. They're going to give you energy and you will feel so much better. Um, and so the fact that dancers are being told to completely exclude carbohydrates when so much research shows that it is essential for peak performance is an issue. And I'm hoping it's an issue that as more people have access to high quality information about the dangers of excluding carbohydrates in an athletic um, population that maybe we can shift that culture a little bit. Other things that they highlighted that I think are worth noting, especially if you like are a dancer or work with dancers is that there are 
a tendency for dancers to have perfectionist traits. And so if you think about dance, um, how you make it better is that you like hit your beats, right? Like hit your moves, like everything needs to be like perfect, especially in ballet, um, which the majority of the dancers in this study were ballet dancers. And so you're already dealing with someone that has perfectionistic tendencies. And so they have a tendency to, or can have a tendency to kind of like nitpick or, you know, if you say, if you just offhandedly say like, oh, maybe you should eat less or eat less carbohydrates, they're going to take that almost to the extreme, a lot of cases. So choosing your words wisely, both providers and other dancers and instructors would be um, great, great for the future of the art and the sport. The main summary from this is that this questionnaire could be useful to screen dancers specifically. If you have a dancer that you are working with, or you are a dancer and would like to find out if maybe you're on the spectrum of potentially having low energy availability or relative energy deficiency in sport, um, it potentially could be a good screening tool, which is great for the profession moving forward. That is all I have for today. Let me know if you found this interesting and if you would like me to continue doing some little research summary podcast episodes Hope you all have a great day.